go with part three of Why Am I Still Here? Um, you know, that's a question that you never stop asking because we don't really arrive until we're not here anymore as believers. And so uh, we'll get into that in a second. Just want to say Merry Christmas to everyone. Uh, I hope that you are prepared, got all your shopping done, not trying to guilt trip anybody, but we got 99% of our shopping done, which is absolutely amazing. We're always late, and then we can't get things delivered by Amazon. I wish I wish that my whole family could be together under one house. Unfortunately, they're scattered abroad, and I don't think that's happened for four or five years. We end up different days, different places, and so uh, we, we have to order things and have them delivered if we want them there by Christmas, yada, yada. Anyway, I do want to give you an update on Life on the Verge. We are pressing on, booking prisons from Miami all the way up to the Florida Panhandle. If you think to say a prayer for us, please do so. Uh, It's a challenging thing trying to fit people in there, and we're going to invite volunteers along this year, maybe even acquire an intern for some of it. If we can raise the money to do that, we've got at least one young man that wants to come out on the road with us, and boy, we could sure use his help, even for part of it, but we do want to compensate him some as he also makes his effort to raise some money to do it. Um, But workman is worth his or her wage, plain and simple, and we don't mind compensating volunteers when we can, when it's in the budget. We think that's appropriate. We know that they would do it for free if that's their heart. We want to bless them uh, the best that we can. You know, which brings me to, you know, sometimes we look at Christian businesses and we know somebody that runs a Christian business and then we go to them and we think, hey, I'm a believer, you're a believer, will you cut me a break? That's really a bad way to think and a whole different topic. If we should be paying full price, we should be paying full price to those that are living to to exalt Jesus. You know what I'm saying? We should be blessing Christian businesses and not looking for a break. Another whole topic. Anyway, boy, I'm getting off on a tangent. Let's talk about why am I still here Part three, you know, as I thought about this this morning, a goal setting season is upon us for a lot of people. People want to start the new year with resolutions and goals uh, in ministry and personal life. But what drives goals? Well, I believe vision drives goal. Vision is a detailed mental picture of a preferred future, and vision drives execution or action in the direction of your preferred future. It's really simple. Um, I had a goal uh, to eat dinner one day, and it hit me, you know what, I think I'm going to make a shepherd's pie, and I want to make an Irish shepherd's pie. If you've never eaten shepherd's pie at McGuire's Irish Pub down in Destin, Florida, I think they also, the original one is in Pensacola, Florida, man, you got to do that. It is amazing. So what did I do? Well, I got a vision to make a shepherd's pie. And uh, I went online, I found a recipe, one that I liked, and it was pretty detailed, a lot of different ingredients and the way that you cook it and all. And I went through that whole process and made an amazing shepherd's pie. I thought I made too much, but it was so good. We ate it for every meal for like two days. It was amazing. It was worth the effort. But my point is, the goal was driven by vision. I got a picture in my mind of what I wanted to do, and that pushed me to execute. It pushed me to action. Vision is hard work. You know, a lot of people aren't willing to sit down and do that. Sometimes it takes solitude. Sometimes it takes prayer and fasting. Um, man, like just trying to get a picture in my mind of what am I trying to accomplish. 
But I believe this, that vision, by the way, if you haven't read my book, Thrival Mode, there's plenty of great books out there on vision. Become a student of vision. You know, Visioneering by Andy Stanley. I'm sure I've, I've mentioned it. Uh, the Power and Principles of Vision by Miles Monroe, a book that had a tremendous impact on me when it comes to vision. Uh, but But even deeper than vision is this idea of aspiration, meaning a strong desire, longing, or aim, ambition. You know, what is driving the vision? Giovanni Dienstman said, your aspiration is your purpose, your dream, your why. Why have a vision? Why go after this thing? He said, it is the goal, desire, or ambition that moves you to action. It's what you want to achieve, experience, or become. Some of my favorite verses, I'll talk about a couple of them today that I'm sure I've mentioned, but definitely when it comes to why I'm still here, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that whole passage there, Paul is talking about, we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. In general terms, we know that the works that we should be producing are the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We should be producing the fruit of the Spirit no matter what vision we have or what vocation that we work in. Our lives should be producing the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, We know that we should be bringing glory to Jesus, no matter what we do, regardless of the work of our hands. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we should be producing the fruit of the Spirit. We should be doing good deeds. That should be our ultimate aspiration. We know this. In the last podcast, 1 Peter 2.9, we talked about uh, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Uh, man, that's that. I love that. And I love one version says we're kings. The word says we're kings and priests. In this life, we really are. We have power over the appetites of the flesh while others around us are being destroyed by the appetites of the flesh We rule over them through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're a holy nation. Uh, We are God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That word declare means that we announce publicly, we proclaim, we celebrate, we publish. I like that word. Uh, We declare abroad. The big question becomes, how do I effectively proclaim Christ. Not everybody's called to stand on a street corner with a, you know, megaphone in their hand just preaching the gospel like John the Baptist. How do I effectively proclaim Christ? Knowing my talents, my opportunities, my experiences, how do I effectively share the love of Jesus with this broken world around me? That's what we're talking about. We know we should be doing good deeds as we go through our daily lives. We should be led of the Spirit. We should try to begin every day 
kind of putting our spiritual armor on and getting in step with the Holy Spirit and looking for opportunities. I went to Brentwood, Tennessee to spend Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin my reward in heaven, but you know I was in Brentwood with for Thanksgiving with uh, my son, and I ran out to get a bag of ice on uh, the night before Thanksgiving. And this guy came up to me, and he was like, "Man, can I can I borrow a, a buck? I I really need to get a quart of oil." And I was like, "You know, I saw he had a ragged old car at the gas pump." I said, "Man, come on in. I'll buy you a quart of oil." It was just a natural response. My mind was prepared for it. There were other times when I might have just said, man, I don't carry cash and walked on. So we kind of got to prepare our minds each day to go about doing good as God presents opportunity. This should be our way of life, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. But most of us want to walk in a deep sense of conviction and purpose when it comes to our primary vocation in life, whether that's Fred the Mailman from the book Fred Factor uh, which has had a profound impact on the corporate world. Uh, this the CEO's, I think he was CEO, but his mailman was such so diligent at what he did. He wrote a book about the the character of this guy and impacted the world with it. Uh, maybe it's Truett Cathy and his chicken sandwich, or Billy Graham and his crusades. All had a deep aspiration to demonstrate Jesus. Well, I don't know if Fred was a Christian, but I bet he was. Anyway, listen to this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Cir- circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, I want to repeat that line in verse 21. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. I believe Paul is saying, be faithful at whatever you do, wherever you were when God called you, whatever your job was, but you have permission to change your circumstances if you so desire. St. Augustine said, love, comma, then do what you will. So, you know, too often, if our motive is to demonstrate Christ, if our motive is to demonstrate his love for this broken world, then God gives us a lot of free reign in how we do that. Ecclesiastes 11.6, another one of my favorite verses uh, that met me at a critical time, says, Sow your seed in the morning and at the evening. Don't let your hands be idle, for you don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So, When I felt the call of God to go into ministry, I was a police detective processing crime scenes in the forensic section. And and I had to continue to sow that seed. I had to continue to do a good job at that job. But I had this other thing I had a desire to do as well. And so I could sow some seed there and see what I don't I didn't know. What will God open the door? You've probably heard me tell the story. You know, I was uh, 28 years old when I sensed the call of God to full-time ministry. I was 
eyeball deep in debt. I had a mortgage and two car payments and three kids, and it seemed like the most impractical thing to jump into some entry-level youth pastor job, but I could I could do something. I could volunteer with the local youth group where I was, and I could study for the ministry by faith, saying, if Lord ever calls me. You know, there, there's a famous quote that says, success is where preparation and opportunity meet. So I could prepare if the opportunity ever presented itself, and guess what? It did four years later. I was 32 years old, and God made miracles happen, and I was able to go into that thing that I wanted to do. My, my aspiration, the thing I, I, the thing I wanted to put my hands to, to uh, declare the praises of Him. I wanted to reach the younger generation and did do that for 15 or so years until God kind of shifted. You know, different seasons of life, God may direct us and call us into different things because we have, we've acquired new skills, new abilities, we've had new experiences, and so God may want to push us or lead us or allow us, I should say, to move into new dimensions of ministry. Often we have deep desires, aspirations to do something for the glory of God, But that thing also brings us great pleasure, and we question our motives. Well, let me tell you, your motives will never be 100% pure because you are a flesh creature just like me. But we can let that paralyze us. Eric Liddell, uh, the famous athlete runner from Chariots of Fire, you know, his family wanted him to go into missions work. Uh, They were all in ministry, but he found out that he he loved to run, and he wanted to compete as a runner. And, and he made this famous quote, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. What is that thing that you do that when you do it, you feel the pleasure of God? Whether that's, you know, you could say, he said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You, God made me intelligent, intelligent, and I feel his pleasure when I study and I share those studies. God made me a musician. God made me a writer. God made me a speaker. God made me a carpenter. God made me a mechanic. God made me a teacher. God made me good with numbers, etc., etc., etc. And when I do that thing, you know, I feel the pleasure of God. I feel like I was made for this. What is that thing? You know, nobody really knows but you and God, of course. Sometimes that takes some experimentation, you know. Uh, when it comes to, to myself and music, for example, you know, I love to play music, man. I love a great guitar tone. I love to make a lead solo sing. You know, I, I love to play guitar so much that I, I sometimes have to check myself and say, "Real." I remember when I got in my first Christian band. I was, again, in my late 20s working with this youth group, and me and some guys formed a, quote, Christian band, um, a band of Christians that were playing mostly really heavily themed Christian songs that, that I was, I guess, writing all of at the time. And uh, and I got on stage, and I cranked that amp up, and we'd rehearse, and I was like, really? Is this really okay? I'm having so much fun at this. Can this, is this really all right, Lord? You know, and it was, and one thing led to another, and and today when we when we do ministry in prisons, I I love both equally well. I love to outright preach and teach and share our testimony, but if you took the music out of the equation, I wouldn't get the joy. I wouldn't feel like I was maximizing my potential at all. And the other way, if all I did was play music, but I didn't have the opportunity to share the gospel 
then then that you know, and I do that from occasion. I go out and I, I'm with Susan. I go out and play with local bands, you know, around town, and it's just there for entertainment's sake. But I, I try to go, well, Lord, if there's an opportunity, I'll share it. And it's been amazing over the years to watch how God has kind of unpacked, you know, our testimony for people as they watch what I do and what we do, I should say, and and uh, and the influence that we can now have because of that. And so, anyway, sometimes we can feel guilty because we get so much pleasure out of that thing we do. We feel like, man, if I'm not preaching from a pulpit, you know, well, your pulpit may very well be, you know, that computer you're writing behind or that uh, instrument you're playing behind, um, you know, that the tools that you're using to work on that car and, and do a, a great job and, and just go over and beyond what people expected may give you the platform. I believe that when you we do that, when you're twisting that wrench or you're swinging that hammer or you're strumming that guitar or whatever, you are declaring the praises of the one that called you out of a darkness if that's what's in your heart. If your deepest aspiration is to use that thing to glorify God, to demonstrate his love to others, we can rest in that. I mean, you know, Christian carpers don't only build churches, and Christian musicians don't only play gospel songs, and Christian teachers don't all only teach in Christian schools, and Christian mechanics don't only work on church buses. We serve mankind out of love in whatever position we're in, and then God gives us great freedom to explore new areas of opportunity. And He's promised that He will establish our steps as we take them. Too many people won't take them. Uh, or he'll direct our paths if we're off course. And he'll use that thing, if your motives were pure, he'll use that thing that even may have been a failure or a mistake to, to lead you and steer you. He won't let it go to waste. You know, if I believe if God has called you to Nineveh, for example, and you know it, but you disregard his call, and you get swallowed by a big fish, well, then you know you better go to Nineveh. Uh, it, Jonah's problem, by the way, was a lack of love and compassion for the Ninevites, um, his motive, his underlying aspiration. If God has a specific thing he wants you to do, which a lot of people sit around and wait for and waste precious time, um, there's a time to be still and know he is God. Okay, there's a time to rest. There's a time to seek. I get that. But I've known people, I mean, decades they're still waiting for God to tell them what to do with their life. And if God has a specific task that he wants you to do, then he might speak to you out of a burning bush or from the mouth of a donkey or right with his finger uh, on a wall like he did in the book of Daniel, I think it was. He might knock you off a horse like he did Paul and blind you. You know, you'll know for sure that that's the thing. But don't sit around and wait for that to happen before you move in the direction that you feel like, hey, as I take a survey of my experiences in life, of what God has done for me, and the opportunities that I have, the skills that I've acquired, then I'm going to do my best. And there's always going to be uncertainty mixed in there. I'm going to lean in the direction of that thing that brings me pleasure, that I enjoy doing. God, God has blessed me with that. He's given us wise principles to guide us as we step out. He's promised to establish our steps or correct our path. So, so what do we do? Well, Psalm 37.4 says, 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We examine our want to, really. You know, it's an almost cliche deal to say if you had unlimited time and resources, what would you do? But it's valid. It is valid. What would you pursue? I love that. I've, I've shared it numerous times. I love it. It's, it's uh, f- uh, from a book for, for athletes um, on the mindset of athletes. And the guy talks about break down the question, uh, what do you want out of life in three ways? What do you want to have? What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? And we as believers, we start with who do we want to be? Who do I want to be in life? I, I, I want to be um, a God-loving, people-loving person. You know, I want to have the character of Christ. That's the most important thing. That's the foundation. I want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I want to glorify God. Then what do we want to do? What do we want to do? God gives us a lot of freedom there. And then lastly, what do we want to have? There's nothing wrong with having nice things um, as long as those things don't have you. A lot of people get it backwards, and they spend their life working to have nice things, but they hate what they do, and they hate who they become. You know, when I, when I look at our journey and this idea of, of working in prisons with music and, and what God lets us do, I look at that journey and I go, man, I had a desire to do something like what we're doing all the way back when I first came to the Lord on November 23rd, 1982. But what a twisty journey the Lord has led us on. And I don't think it's because the Lord would not have let me pursue it earlier in life. It's because I didn't know some of the things I'm trying to share with you, you know, um, I didn't have the insight, and I just did what was in front of me, and one thing led to another. And I do believe at times I compromised what I really wanted to do. You know, um, you know, when I became a youth pastor, it seemed like the obvious thing to do, and, and I put aside, you know, Christian music other than worship in the in you know in the church. And then, you know, I, everywhere I went, we kind of formed a band and did little things here or there. But all along, I really wanted to make a living playing music, and sharing the gospel. Of course, I had a family to raise. I had to have a consistent salary and benefits and that kind of thing. So maybe the timing just wasn't right um, until a shift came in January. Here comes January of 2011. Now, we had gone to work at a mega church, and I was making, you know, salary and benefits, pretty decent. And I was planting. We were planting a church for them in Richmond, Virginia, but our home was in Virginia Beach. And, and we really liked our circumstances in Virginia Beach. And I, the, the desire to do something like what we're doing today, to be a musicianary is the best way to describe it, um, was growing. And I was writing songs. And, and I really, I, but you know, I was here and I met my friend Jimmy Bratcher, who was really like a role model and a prototype of what I wanted to do, but I saw no way of doing it. But I knew I could, I could sow my seed in the morning and at the, in the evening, not let my hands be idle. Well, the one thing that I didn't want to come down the pipe was for this mega church to finally ask us to move to Richmond, Virginia, because I felt like that would have solidified our decision to stay on staff at that church. I really wanted to be launched somehow, some way into what I really wanted to do, um, but it didn't happen that way. They did. They finally pressured me and said, look, if you're going to stay on staff, you're going to have to move to Richmond, pastor this congregation. We love the congregation. We love what we did. But there was a deeper 
thing that I wanted to do. I had a desire to do this thing. And so reluctantly, after 12 days of prayer and fasting, trying to get out of it, you know, we knew that we had to do it. I mean, it literally brought me to tears because it felt in a way that I was crucifying the thing I really wanted to do. And I guess I was. But when we got to Richmond, I felt like the Lord gave me freedom. Hey, start playing with musicians around town. And so I put my name on a couple of websites and connected with musicians and started going out and doing that. And it was different. It was weird because it was outside of church. Um, and so we were. I was still sowing my seed in the morning and, and in the evening, not, not letting my hands be idle. But the desire continued to grow. You know, I continued to look into how could this ever happen? My son was the last in our household. He was moving out so we could lower our overhead. And uh, finally, January 2011, I had a meeting with my dear friend, Denny Nisley. I probably shared this story before, but bear with me. Um, that meeting went for three hours to ask him because he runs a nonprofit, Christ in Action. They're, they're killer ministry, awesome ministries are out in Kentucky right now, out bringing a, a mobile kitchen and chainsaws and tractors and all that because of the tornadoes. That's what they do. And I'd worked with them numerous times over the years. And that meeting went for three hours as Jimmy, I mean, uh, Denny counseled us on how to start a nonprofit. And, uh, and, and then he invited us to Sturgis to bring a band to Sturgis. We'd done music for a couple of his crusades and things like that, a couple of his events over the years. I hadn't done one probably in 10 years. And I told him our band would be at Sturgis. I didn't have a band. This was January 2011, but I had something to aim at. And ultimately, it came down to Sturgis was in August. The megachurch wouldn't let me have that time off uh, for kind of crazy reasons, but there was a big thing happening at our church, and they didn't want to let me have off. But they said, look, if you want to go, you can go do your thing in Sturgis, but when you get back, we'll work out your transition, basically telling me they would let me go if I did this. And uh, of course, it was a friendly departure, by the way, because I did feel like I've got to do this. This is crunch time. This is the moment. And by faith, I don't know what's going to happen if we get let go from staff, where our salary is going to come from, benefits. And matter of fact, all that disappeared. We lived hand to mouth for a while, living in a camper full time. But I was doing the thing. We were doing the thing. When I say we, that's really important because if you've got a spouse, you better be on the same page. But I, the Lord had let me marry a woman. We just celebrated our 39th anniversary on December 17th, and she's as crazy as me. And God knew before time that would happen. And we did it. You know, I left and I did that thing in Sturgis. And let me tell you, it was there that I met my dear friend, Tony Loeffler, who I just had dinner with last week. He was in Farmville, uh, Virginia. He was in yeah, for a wedding. He's from West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, lives down there. But he was up here, so we went and had dinner. I met Tony. He became my mentor. He was introduced us to prison ministry, and uh, off we went. We did so much work with Tony over the first probably five, six, seven years. We were everywhere with him. And... Uh, so I'm, I'm saying that that journey from here to there, uh, you know, once you have that desire and you've nailed it down, this is what I would do if God would let me. Well, let me let you know that in, in all likelihood, God is going to let you <laughs> if your desire is to glorify Christ ultimately, whether that and we do it in a very overt way in prisons, you know, we preach the gospel. You, you, you may not, you know, have that bent. 
You know, you're, you're bent maybe to run a godly business. Man, there's a guy in our church. I probably shared this, too. I repeat myself a lot. That's what speakers do. But he he's one of the biggest builders in the Richmond area, and uh, that's his deal. He don't, he don't preach uh, uh, on the street corner. He don't preach in prison, but he provides a house for us to live in, praise God. He gave a million dollars to missions at our church this year and last year. Praise God, you know, that he went after his dream, his goal. He assessed his skills, abilities, abilities, and experiences and desires. That's a key one right there. He examined his desires and he went after that thing. And now he uses it to declare the praises of the one that called him out of darkness through his business. Look, you might be exactly where you know you're supposed to be, walking 100% in the works he prepared in advance for you, loving what you do, uh, but there's a lot of people that aren't. We, we are. We're there, man. And, you know, when I was in youth ministry, I wasn't miserable at that season. I knew I was right where I wanted to be. There's nothing like that, you know, and maximizing you know, your potential, all the tools and resources and connection. Man, that's what I want to do. I want to be poured out the best that I can to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. But maybe that's not you. I think it's Proverbs 13, 12. The first person I heard say this, by the way, coincidentally, was Pat Robertson. Probably 30 years or more ago, this verse, the first time I heard it, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Friend, if, if you're dissatisfied, if your heart is sick, that's your inner man. You feel in turmoil and frustrated and maybe even angry about life circumstances. Maybe you've deferred your ultimate hope. Maybe you've put it off and put it off for so long that you've lost that hope. Well, God wants to restore it. Pick that thing back up. That dream, that desire, that goal, with the goal of making it a tree of life, right? A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That's what I want my life to be, is a tree of life where other people can find shade, they can find fruit that nourishes their spirit. And so I pray that as we enter into this new year, just like we did in January 2011, we finally came to terms with there's something we can do in the direction of this place we want to get to. And if, the, if, if you're there where you, you know in your heart of hearts, man, this is what I would rather do, I'd really do, trust God. You know, lean in the direction. He, he gives you permission. And if you're wrong, he'll direct your steps. And if you're right, he'll establish them. And there's nothing like seeing God establish your steps. We couldn't do this. God moves on the hearts of people to give to our ministry and sustain us and keep us out there on the road and be this tree of life for the world God sent us to. We, we don't control that. We can only take the steps and trust that, that God will provide and establish the steps. You know, and that he does that through the people that give to our ministry and keep us on the road. And he'll do the same for you. He will establish your steps. He'll bring confirmation. And I believe that he'll also bring convergence. He'll bring the different pieces of your life together, you know, to create a picture that he wants the world to see. All right. Let me pray for you. Uh, this, I guess, 
Well, I'll do one more podcast before the end of the year, but let me pray for you anyway. Lord, I thank you for all the listeners. Thank you for the words of encouragement that they send me. I'm just trying to be obedient and do the thing that you've given me to do with this microphone and uh, the things that you've done in our lives. And I, I pray, God, for those that are they're looking, they're seeking the works that you prepared in advance for them to do. Lord, that you'd give them insight and understanding and wisdom and that they wouldn't defer hope. They would take directions that resurrect lost hope and that move in the direction of that thing, whatever it may be. And Lord, you would confirm their steps and direct their paths in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We'll talk at you next week. I want to remind you that we're a completely donor-funded ministry. You can learn more about Life on the Verge at lifeontheverge.com. You can hear more of our music at theplunders.com or on any streaming service.